Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Plus minus. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit there. <laughs> Plus minus. Play driving again. Oh, you're kidding me! Tell Marcus that he asked you know, that question about my defense. Do you hear that, Marcus? Anthony, you know me well, buddy. Y'all have a great night. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Hello and welcome to a special edition, we'll call it, of the Warriors Plus Minus podcast. Uh, both my uh, fellow co-hosts who are with me, we were both just, or all three of us, I should say, we're just that uh, a 37-minute Draymond Green uh, press conference, I believe, Tim Kawakami. I'm calling it 36. I'm calling it 36 because it was 30. a little delay at the beginning, so 36. All right. All right, 36 minutes and probably, what would you guys say, eight questions, seven questions? Yeah, maybe, maybe eight questions. Yeah, it was long answers, long, thoughtful answers, but, um, you know, they were long. And obviously a lot to go through, a lot of things for Draymond, I think, to go through in his head to try to figure this out. But he can't have any, you know, definitive answers. He, he did say that. I think he was honest. He doesn't know if it's going to happen, something's going to happen again, what you know, the rest of his career is going to play out like. But it was, you know, he's working this through. I think generally he does it anyway in public. And we heard a lot of it today, 36 minutes of him still kind of working through this. And where, you know, I think the bottom line is, is like no more antics. He was very precise about that. Maybe general on some other things. Very clear, no more antics. I was going to ask him like what defines an antic, but a microphone was not going my way, which is fine. Uh, but I guess it means, you know, no flailing that might, where he might hit somebody in the face, no stomping, you know, if that's the line, that's a very clear line and, and we'll see if he can hold to it. Marcus, uh, I think that was probably my biggest takeaway uh, also, but the antic that I am zeroing in on is the refereeing one because they're being pretty clear on that. Like, you know, no more just, like, don't be distracted by the refs. Don't be arguing with the refs when you need to figure out, uh, you know, which defense you need to go to or, uh, you know, what's going wrong, why why a coverage isn't working. Uh, and that, to me, is going to be the hardest one for him to, uh, you know, on a nightly basis refrain himself from because it is the stuff that you're not getting suspended for arguing with Ben Taylor or Scott Foster or Zach Zarba. Um so it, your career isn't on the line if you're mad because a block was called a charge or whatever. But from a team rule perspective, from a should we trust you or trust you not to, to, to kind of remain within the team construct here, that to me is the one that, I, that I'm watching most. Yeah, hey, Kerr jumped right on that when you asked him. Uh, I think this is going to be something that way they're measuring it. You know, maybe it's hard to know when another player is going to get on Draymond's, you know, nerves enough where there could be a moment of flare-up, and, and but the referees is the constant. You know there's going to be a call he doesn't like. You know there's going to be something. You know, the Nurkic thing was partly to sell a call, right? That was partly involved with referees. Uh, but they're going to be looking at how he deals with referees. Does he stop the game and just can't stop arguing with a referee? Does he not get back on defense because he's arguing with a referee? You're right, Slater. I think this is kind of the way they're viewing it. Are you in this game uh, and accept there's going to be some calls you don't like and like everyone else usually does, or can you not call that back? So I'll give you pull that back. Let's give, let's give a tangible example here. He gets the chokehold suspension for five games. He comes back. I believe it was, yeah, it was his first game back in Sacramento, that in season tournament collapse. They had 24 points. Collapse. I know Sam wrote about Amick wrote about this, uh, you know, kind of in depth. But uh, he had the moment. He he gets kind of a flail p- 
potential elbow he thought from Trey Lyles that he wants reviewed and like he's kind of getting into it with the refs this is like mid third quarter they're up they're up big most of the game uh and then as he continues to talk to the refs he get there was that non carry call that he thought should have been on Malik Monk and he was just for like 5 minutes obsessed with the fact that they that they screwed the call up and uh then had the weird thing where he was like pressure not to half court and giving it to the referee again and then he goes over to the bench and he's be you know he's yelling at Anthony Vereen and and a couple of the players who are telling him hey like stop like we we're, we're losing this lead right now uh and he ended up having to go back to the locker but part of that collapse was the complete mood change of the team and the mood change of the arena at the time and that's the type of stuff that they're telling him like you know, stop. While the league is saying, like, don't elbow anybody, don't choke hold Rudy Gobert in a scuffle, I think the team is saying, like, like, do not let your pursuit of justice with referees get in the way of a season that is crumbling right now. Yeah, I think the well, justice I think, well, part is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was funny. You, the first, uh, off of mute, he comes, he comes strong off of I mute. I told y'all in the chat I was having issues with my what's account. I Thanks saw that later. I apologize to you and I apologize to, to the loyal listeners. <laughs> you can apologize, but no buts with that, uh, Slater. Just apologize and let it be done. So my, my take is I think a lot of this has to do with him being good on defense. And I do think part of the – frustrations that kind of lead to these blowups, especially with the refs, is things not going well on the court, right? Uh, if, if he comes back and he's locked in defensively, like, we didn't – we if we think of the times where we saw these quote-unquote antics happening, they're usually when things aren't going well. When he's locking, when he's locking up, then then he's fine. We, we just don't see that. The, the stomp against uh, – you know, uh, Sabonis, like they were struggling. They were down, you know, they're about to lose whatever it was game two. Right. And it was, it was going bad. Oh, go back to OKC. What was happening TK? Well, you know, they were getting boat raced by the thunder. Like to me, it's so tied to him playing well and them playing well as a team that if he just plays good defense, and locks in on that, I think that curbs well, a lot of the problem. Marcus, Marcus, let me ask you, though. There, There's going to be several games coming up, especially we've seen with this team, where they are losing. They're blowing a 20-point lead in L.A. Let's say they do make it to the playoffs. Okay, they're not just going to sweep everybody. They're going to go down 2-1 in a series. Like, There's going to be moments he's playing poorly and they're playing poorly. Do you think even in those moments, because I agree with your general thesis, right? Every time it something happens, it's usually going poorly for them. Can he contain himself in those moments? Yeah, I I feel like his best chance to do that is if he builds some success on the way there. That's what made this this last stretch kind of odd because he was playing well, uh, especially offensively. He was playing well. I think Rudy triggered something, uh, and I do think <laughs> I do think being on the court with KD like takes <laughs> him there too, right? Like that whole relationship where it's like, all right. You know, this is my guy. I got to beat my guy. And, you know, they, they just struggled against Phoenix. I do think the best chance for that happening is him building up some good games and his impact being clear. Like, they he comes in, they start playing better, they start playing better defensively, and you can see that Draymond is positively impacting the game. I, I think that's I think that's the way he starts building up some of this kind of good – these good vibes, right? I do think that's part of it. Like totally being able to to push away from the righteous indignation table. Like I, I just I don't think that's possible. And I don't even think that's a fair thing to ask from him. To me, I think you start with let's not like flail near people's heads. <laughs> right? Let's let's just not go overboard on those things. If you can well, do that, how about the I, no I think stuff? you can deal with the refs. I don't. I don't know if the ref stuff is real. I don't know if that's a real, like a serious. I don't know if that's a legit goal to go from one hundred to zero on dealing with the refs. I think it's moments that, like that moment in the sack game where he needs to be able to turn it off and lock in and play. But like 
like what's acceptable they all do a little bit of it does he turn it all the way off or does he is he allowed 20 percent of it like i just don't think that's real in modern nba to be like don't talk to the refs don't ever complain about a call i think it's like when when you're in a moment where they need you to lock in like and and anthony vereen is even telling you calm down like that's the moment he's got to be able to summon it and calm down that's the antics part i think right that's the extra if we can define it uh, I mean, I agree with it, UMT. It is about the greater, like, is he playing well or the Warriors playing well? But they were up five in Phoenix when the Nurkish thing happened. Like, they were playing pretty well uh, in, in a little bit of a, you know, a microscope. That, that, that was a weird one because they were playing well. I think Draymond was playing pretty well in that game. I do think it's interesting uh, Kerr brought up because he wasn't sure how much Draymond was bringing up about their conversations. Uh, and I guess Draymond, I can't even remember who brought it up, but yeah, about the end right you you don't want to end like this you don't want this whole thing to kind of go up in flames you want to play at uh, Kerr said use the word dignity and don't know if that's always going to be a word you're going to use with drama but i think you get it with the com- dignity of competitiveness you know with some amount of common sense uh the dignity of accepting who you are and playing as hard as you can as long as you can and not acting out and not grabbing rudy gobert by the throat and, you know, Draymond's not the only one. There's been another, you know, veteran warrior who's at times, you know, ha- had some outbursts uh, on the court. Uh, I think that's the bigger picture. They see this going away. Doesn't mean it's all the way gone. Doesn't mean this is the end. But it means they all feel it. And I think part of this, not all of this, since we know Draymond had these incidents while they were good. Uh, but I think the speed of it, the fact that it's the cycle is quickening with him is a broader picture of the dynasty at large. I think that, you know, this is, this is frustration. This is, we're not playing the way we're, we want to play. This is, I'm not playing the way I want to play. Everybody's not playing the way we should play. Steve is not coaching us the way I want him. And like all these things I think are built, built up and it's maybe the bigger picture of this. And I think that's what Kerr is talking to Draymond about, you know, within the context of what we've it's, done and what it's we've also, done. Tim, isn't this also what he's been talking to Clay about? Now there, it's yes. very different exactly. scenario. Like exactly. he's not telling Clay, not, "Hey, don't talk to refs." But I mean, it's what Clay is dealing with is is really, uh, you know, a similar in his own Clay way. Exactly. I think it's those two guys, uh, and you know, those two guys have had lesser seasons. You know, get Draymond given the injury and all the suspensions for a lot of other reasons. But and we know Clay struggled through some ups and ups and downs. Steph less so, although recently it hasn't been as great for Steph even. But yeah, it's how do you deal with this? With 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 Clay, you saw the blow up with Jane Daniels, and you know you've seen some frustration. You've seen him, you know, kind of turn inward and you know try to figure it out in, in some other way instead of just let kind of accepting the team wide situation, which Kerr has, has brought up. This shot selection is what he keeps saying, and with Draymond, I think you see it with just the kind of the you know the incidents, the the, the antics, as he says. This is going to happen. They're competitive guys. They've been great. They've won a lot. They've beaten these teams. Minnesota was never a problem for them, right? Never a problem for them for the previous nine years. And now it's a major problem. And Oklahoma City has been a problem, wasn't a problem, and now is a problem. Like I think it's getting thrown in their face, and they're having to accept and understand and then figure out a way it cannot be as big a problem as frustration, but maybe they can't, and understand that too. I just think that's the broad view of, I think, the way Kerr is trying to explain it to Draymond, or at least say, this is how we have to deal with it. And I think Draymond is accepting that, I guess, and not accepting the losing, but accepting we are in a different situation. We are approaching the final one, two, whatever, three years of this. And we do have to behave in a way that under, you know, deals with that, that is different when they were 28 years old and kings of the world. They are not that anymore. Yeah, there's a way this thing is supposed to end, and it's it's going to be with them losing, and it's going to be, like, shaking the hands of the team that beat them and being like, all right, it's your turn. And that was supposed to be Memphis, remember? And <laughs> yep, <laughs> they yeah. survived Memphis, and then it was looking like it was going to be Sacramento last year. And, you know, there's a lot of mutual respect there, but there's, like, I think that's what Kerr is talking about. Like, there's honor and essentially passing the torch to the team that beat you. Don't don't go out because you can't keep it together. 
keep it together, you lose on the court together, and you pass the torch to the team that beat you. Whether that's so, if this season ends with Oklahoma City cooking them in the, in the first round or whatever, you you pass the torch. Or if it's Minnesota, right? Uh, like that. That's the way you want this thing to end, and, and not with like a form of disgrace, you know, or a form of like like drama and like combustion. Like if, if there's a perfect way, it would have been how that Memphis series was gonna end before they proved that they weren't ready to go. <laughs> like, but if that end, you knew how that would have been. Steph hugging Jaw at the end, you know. Draymond talking about how great Jaron Jackson was and tipping your cap, but like that's how it's gotta be when they actually finally lose. It shouldn't be to LeBron though. I don't know if that's the passing of the torch. Even though there will be some poetry to that, like losing to LeBron to go out. You know, the truth is, I think part of what Kerr is saying is, regardless, they could not make the playoffs this year. Their legacies aren't really impacted. I mean, they could be impacted by how they go down, which is what's being said. But like, they've won four titles. Like that just isn't changing. So, you know, even if it if it uh, there isn't some valiant six game series where a young team barely ekes them out, uh, they still need to just like protect who they're known as historically. Uh, so I think it's part yeah, of well, that could be within the regular season too. I mean, again, we're we're painting different pictures here, but it's all the same one. Generally, is like how have honor at the end and maybe that's get yourself win enough games to get to that six seed can, you know, they can do that uh, rally around Draymond, make a key trade, which I can, like we could talk about a little later in the show, but yeah, I mean, I think there is a trade coming. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I think this is just makes this roster is too jumbled to not make some kind of trade. Maybe, you know, it's, it's a, a, a strong run and maybe upset somebody in the first round and then you get blown out in the second round. I don't think any of us, any of us foresee, you know, three wins or, or, you know, or even, you know, a championship, but something where they maximize what they've got right now. They are, they clearly not have done that. They, and, you know, they probably, what, they've thrown away three, four wins. That That's just, it leads to kind of an erosion of confidence, erosion of kind of identity, and maybe you turn that around and see where they are and, Give it a run against, you know, OKC in the first round. Give it a run in those playoffs. And then they don't want to say, OK, that's enough. We, we've done enough. OK, goodbye, everybody. But at least something better than we've seen. Certainly what we've seen, you know, on the court from Draymond behaviorally and, you know, more than we've seen from, you know, the, this dynastic group. Uh, and I think, again, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. I think that's how their curve is kind of shaping it, and I, I get it, and I think it's the right way to speak to Steph, Draymond, and Clay, to, to engage them in what's really happening here and, and what people are viewing from around the country, around the world about this team. Don't go out looking bad. Go out looking like you, who, who you've been. Diminished versions of what, athletically, of what you've been, but still, you know, with the, the dignity, as Chris said, that you've had in the previous years. All right, uh, just zeroing back into the moment. Uh, you know, he he practiced today. We meet Tim. We walked in after practice. He was kind of running like court sprints, like full court sprints. Uh, he said he hadn't touched or he didn't touch a basketball for the first ten days after this went down. Then he kind of got back in the gym and was working out and has been, but that's obviously very different than NBA games. He's not going to play Wednesday. They're kind of using this like week time frame, like hey, maybe in about a week they can ramp him up to to a clear to return. I'm sure he'll come back in with you know shorter minutes. But Kerr said it today, and I've talked to other people in the organization who've made the point like the type of player he is as a rhythm player, a quick thinker, a decision maker, you know, ball handler, where they're 17 and 19. Every game matters. They need Draymond Green back on the floor as quick as possible. But also when he's not good, when he's destructive, when he's throwing the ball out of bounds because he doesn't have a rhythm or can't do anything offensively and isn't confident in it, he can be kind of a destructive player too. So, um, you know, I think there's that level of concern. Like, this isn't just drop prime Draymond Green right back in the mix and he's going to be playing 35 minutes. Like, this is going to take a little bit. Yep, yep. But here's the the push is, and you heard it from both him and Kerr. It's like, with Chris Paul out, my God, do they need Draymond uh, in there. So another ball handler, another decision maker. Doesn't mean he's going to be ready to do it. Uh, but this team, and I asked Kerr, like, you got enough time before February 8th trade deadline to assess this? Goes, oh, yeah, Absolutely. We got enough time. I, 
I don't know that they do big picture. I see what he's saying. Like, you know, hey, have they seen enough from Andrew Wiggins? Probably. Have they seen enough from, you know, some other players kind of on the uh, borderline of whether they're going to go forward with them or not? Probably. But they haven't seen them all with Draymond for 10 games here, right? I mean, I don't know. that Has there been a 10-game stretch where they've had Draymond? I, I Maybe, barely. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a rush. I mean, I think Draymond said the word urgent, but he also talked about caution. It's going to be a very interesting set of circumstances here, but I do think you might be able to throw him in there for six minutes and get something good out of him. I mean, I think there's going to be some amount of desire to see what that looks like. Not right away, but not. I don't think this is five games from now. I'd say three or four games from now. Yeah, to me, it feels like not only the urgency of winning games, but the amount of time they have between now and the trade deadline. Like they just have to, they just have to get going. So I see it starting as like. Um, you know, one of the minutes restrictions. You know, yep. I, I bet you he comes back against Milwaukee. <laughs> like in off two games. And it, and it, off the bench. I off bet. the bench, yeah. Off starting bench, off yeah. just yeah. so you can get him a little bit. Because no matter, no matter how he looks or how many days between now and then, the rhythm thing is still going to be an issue. He just hasn't played with these guys. And, and these aren't like the guys either. These aren't guys he's played with for four years, right? There won't be no GP2 out there. You know, uh, it, it'll be like a lot of Kaminga and Dario Saric and Brandon Pajemski. Yeah. Like, he doesn't have, like, the built-in kind of rapport with those guys. So it's going to be tough either way. I do think, though, uh, and I was talking to uh, one of the assistants who was talking about this, where they miss Draymond the most is fourth quarter defensive execution. Like, in down the stretch of games – they give up more open shots, more poor rotation, you know, blown assignment uh, looks from opposing teams. That that's where Draymond becomes vital. So if you can yep. just get that in as soon as you can, you know, that'll be fine. Especially considering, I mean, the major thing, Slater, you brought this up in the in the to Steve Kerr. Like now they have to start thinking about this rotation situation. You had issues without Draymond and without. Uh, uh, Gary Payton the second, and now, and now you're adding Draymond. Obviously, Chris Paul is out now, but you know you got the crowd cheering for Moses Moody to play, so it's only <laughs> going to get more chaotic. So maybe to ease him in, kind of eases that transition to whatever the rotation is going to be. Instead of waiting till Draymond can play 30 minutes, put him in there where he can play 15 to 20, and that still gives these other guys time to to get some minutes. So. I agree. Rotation question right now, you know, to me, Wiggins is like this big, looming rotation question. I mean, he, uh, you know, obviously all the numbers this season look pretty pretty bad. I mean, I kind of brought it up to Kerr today, and I don't know if you guys mentioned it. It was a pretty, you know, full defense of what Andrew Wiggins has been over the last 17 games. He said flush the last two where he was minus 29 and and whatever he was against Detroit, which wasn't good. Uh, And he said, look at the 15 games prior to that, which, you know, obviously shows a level of trust that he's going to stay with Andrew Wiggins as a rotation player. But um, that means, like, Jonathan Kaminga's minutes at times are going to be limited, especially with Draymond coming back. Uh, And then, you know, to me, like the other night, Moses Moody's behind Wiggins, but Wiggins was playing so poorly, he comes in and Moses Moody scores 21. And you sit there and go, hey, maybe Wednesday – you just give Moody a lot of the Wiggins minutes. And Moody, who, by the way, can play with Kaminga more easily than, than Wiggins can, it seems. Um, but it does not seem like Andrew Wiggins is headed for, like, a DNP or anything like that from the way Steve's talking. Yeah, I don't think And so. it sounds like Steve is not playing Wiggins and Kaminga together nope. ever that again. Is over. Ever, 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 ever. That is – but well, I know I don't disagree with him now. I mean – I mean, how was, can you after the last one? That was – I think that again. I wrote. I think I wrote this. Like they're not just redundant; they make each other worse. You're like losing both of them when you put them out there together. Uh, I think Draymond. You know, if you put Draymond at power forward, that you know, Kaminga doesn't start at power forward, so his minutes are at small forward. You can kind of see how that works, or maybe that's Wiggins at small forward. I, I can see Kerr like saying, "You know what? I think Draymond and Wiggins are. You know, I'm going to play those two guys, and Kaminga will get his minutes, but they, you know, they won't be as a starting four, and they might not even be as a backup four. Uh, maybe we go back in this whole thing. Where's Jonathan Kaminga again? I don't know, but uh, I think he's not playing, personally, he's not playing Kaminga and Wiggins together anymore. Personally, I, it's hard to argue. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I think the 
the the starting lineup when Draymond's back and like activated into his normal minute load, I think it should be Kaminga at the four, Draymond at the five, yes. and small. And if you remember the night this all went down, the Nurkic foul went down. He did that in the second half. He went Steph, Clay, Pajemski, Kuminga, Draymond, and he said he wanted to play speedy, quick. At Draymond, activated, play with a better pace, uh, have the extra ball handler. Pajemski out there and they were looking good you mentioned it they were up five so I think they might even go back to that starting lineup yeah I think the natural minutes for I, I've kind of been thinking this for a while are just for Looney just flip him for Looney uh tough for Looney who actually was the one guy who played hard uh the other night the one mainline guy but um you know, I don't know if Draymond with Looney really is where you want to go anymore I know they've been part of that great starting lineup for the last two years, but it hasn't worked this season. And the Kaminga part of it makes it even tougher just because you're not getting shooting. Um, it's Draymond at center, you know, Draymond at center, speed it up, see what you can, you know, Kaminga better rebound before that in that lineup. And, and that's always a question mark, but I, I agree. I think Draymond as this starts, probably profiles as a five more than he does as a four. If you're just counting Kaminga in there or Wiggins in there, just with who they got. Now that squeezes the center stuff with Trace Jackson Davis with Sarich, all that. But I think maybe you just flip him for Looney and the, the Looney minutes go to Draymond. And if he plays well, he gets more than that. I don't know if you guys agree with that. I, yeah. To me, the bigger, I agree with it, but I think the bigger issue is how to close the game. I think they need a, a consistent way to close the game. It's just it's costing them too many close games that it it's random. Like not I guess not random in the sense that he's just randomly picking somebody, but it's based on who's playing well, and it just doesn't work that way. Like close games don't work, you know, when you don't have rapport and chemistry. So can you close with that? I think that's. I think yeah. that's going to be yeah. the best lineup to close with. Uh, yeah, I think you can. You know, with no CP. Yeah, I said the CP thing. I understood and and I agree with Kerr that he should close with him just the way he moves the ball. But man, defensively, that is a tough backcourt to play. We you know we talked about this when they acquired him, right? It's like Steph, Clay, and CP is not going to do very well against these teams with these active big wings, and then you get a switch, and then you're dead. Uh, Scotty Barnes, so I'm, you know, Steph guarding Scott, Scotty Barnes. It was just done. There was no chance. So I can see that, like. Or like if you do yeah. it with CP and now Steph is closing out yeah. or CP is closing out, like th- they don't bother shooters at no. all. You <laughs> notice the difference when Moody does. Like that, you can, yes. it might be like, boom, Moody, all of a sudden, wait a minute, he can play defense, defense on the post and he's lengthy enough that it bugs. Bugs guys shooting, uh, you know, six foot six guys who shoot right over. Well, they shoot over Przemski too, but I think the CP element kind of simplifies it. We are not even thinking about him closing, obviously, because he's hurt. And you can go with Przemski, and if need be, and I know this is switching things up, and MT is calling for a more solid, uh, steady uh, closing lineup. But I guess you can, you can go Moody if you if you need to. Moody for Przemski if you need to, and then you're bigger. I just think it makes it. You could just see. Moody's size on the wing is something that the Warriors have been lacking because they're going with smaller guards who end up matched up with, you know, active wings who are six foot seven, and those active wings go right through them. Um, and maybe Moody in the closing lineup, you know, occasionally, occasionally. Uh, Slater, do you think giving Moody some of them Pajemski minutes is a good thing? Well, the one thing about Pajemski is he really rebounds. Uh, and Moody doesn't rebound like Pajemski, Kaminga doesn't, Wiggins doesn't, and it sounds strange because we're talking about another 6'3", 6'4", guard, essentially, but I think one of, they're missing two things at times with some of these lineups, and that's a guy who can you know, break the pain and make a play, spray it out to the perimeter, an extra playmaker, which Pajemski is, and also, really, I, do, I truly think it's rebounding. I mean, when Pajemski's starting and playing 25 to 30 minutes, you can mark him down for between like 7 and 11 rebounds. And, uh, you know, I do think there's like Moody's more of a reliable floor spacer, I'd say, at this stage than Pajemski. Uh, but I just think, you know, I, I really think the running is a big factor with what, and, and, you know, some of the other small, you know, anticipation stuff that Pajemski does. 
I think it's an either or. I mean, I and I just don't think you need to just say 30 minutes for Zemsky and 10 for Moody or whatever it is. I think you can say sometimes it's 30 and 10, and sometimes it's 25 and 15, sometimes it's 20 and 20. Um, I, I just think Moody does. When you see where they're lacking, when they get shellacked, and they got shellacked last game, and, and Curtis Wright to say they have not been shellacked very often this season, hardly at all, but that was one of them. It was RG, RJ Barrett and Scotty Barnes had zero reason to even think about anything but just going right to the basket or just hitting an open shot. And Moody gives them a second thought. Like they do have to worry, think about just going right at Moody. And again, this is not making Moody to be a superstar, but I, th- I think that's a way Kerr can get through this. And playing with Kaminga, don't play Kaminga with Wiggins, playing with Moody. Uh, and, and it just, and if you need more ball handling, you need more activity, you go with Pajemski. I just think it's a, an option that they haven't had this season. They've tried it with Kaminga and Wiggins, and it's just not working. I, I don't know if Kerr is committed to, to Wiggins. I think he's the guy most likely to be traded at this point. I don't know what you get. You might have to package Moody with him. I don't know. We can talk about that stuff uh, at some point. But I, I just think if you if you cut down Pajemski and Wiggins' minutes a little bit, I, I think Moody would be a very interesting thing to see because he can space the court and he's a little bigger wing and they get are getting freaking drummed on the uh, by these bigger wings i, mean, I know where Kerr stands uh on it so i understand why he does it and I, and I do think his hustle on the perimeter is you know really good sometimes i just feel like it comes down to making shots <laughs> and creating a shot out of nowhere too so uh, I, I just don't think like Pajemski should be like locked in for thirty. If he minutes. was six, if he was six foot six, I'd be lock in a ball, him in. ball game. Yeah, be, lock him. Take, give him Wiggins spot. Yep, yep, a hundred percent. And but at six foot three or whatever they list him at, he's probably six three. It's just not. It's it's a defensive mismatch. You know, they got too many of those. And, and we've seen the. I mean, Jesus. I mean, Detroit. You know, Kate Cunningham was going right at him. He's a good player, but you should not be like life and death at home with the Detroit Pistons. Like it just shouldn't happen that way. So um, now you want to talk about what, what what they could be looking at trade deadline? I mean, where do you guys fall on how these thoughts have to be shaping for them? I think I think Wiggins is, in my opinion, uh, my speculative opinion. I think he's the most likely to be traded. I think. Uh, you know this this fact that continues to be obvious that him and Kaminga cannot operate together. It seems um, means you almost have to kind of choose one of the two. And and uh, you know I think getting off Wiggins could potentially clear uh, that future money. That in a lot of ways, if if the front office is committed to Kaminga, and I do think there's a growing sense, you know that that, that Kaminga's worth committing to more long term. Uh, well, he's going to need an extension, which means there's going to be, you know, money that's going to get need to get siphoned his way. And I think Wiggins' future committed money uh, makes him vulnerable right now for, for various reasons. And then obviously the Paul contract, um, considering Chris Paul is going to be out pretty, it, it seems at least through the trade deadline, I think if there's a way to maneuver his contract, just, you know, just keep optionality as far as, uh, you know, the future goes, but, but, but get maybe a bigger rotation piece, maybe a center in here. Uh, and th- those would be the two things I'm looking at personally. Yeah, I- I'm just curious what either one of those can- one of those guys can get you by yourself, by themselves. Like Wiggins, just on the market, his 24, 25, whatever million. Like, does that get you something? And does CP's 30 million expiring contract get you something? Like that. It feels like you almost have to throw in Kaminga or Moody to make it happen. And if you don't, what are you? Are you getting anything of value? They have first round picks, by the way. And first round picks in this league get you a lot. They really do. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess if you want to give that up, <laughs> but it wouldn't be 20, it wouldn't be till twenty six, right? It'd be twenty six and twenty eight, or what they have to trade. You can do various things. Have you could you could knock the protection off this current one, which I think could kind of free some stuff but yeah so yeah I, I, to me the the like I, it's hard to come back to the difficulty of how you're gonna guard at the end with Steph Clay and Chris Paul 
I think if we've learned anything throughout this, it's like that's the thing that I don't know how you overcome that. Uh, and you don't have a you don't have another option. Like if you're playing that way, if Chris Paul's here, he needs to be on the court. Like he's one of the best players, he needs to be on the court. But it creates this inherent flaw defensively, which we've seen play out. So. I don't know. Like, even if you if you give up Wiggins and you go get a center, if you can get a center, does that solve the problem? Does having a rim protector solve the problem of the three guards trying to – the three older athletically challenged or size challenged guards hanging with the type of perimeter players that they got to go against to win, right? Like, does that solve it? If it does, then, yeah, do it. But if not, you got to wonder, like, how are you going to play these three guys at the end? <laughs> like that's that's yeah. still a question that you got to answer no matter no matter if you can move wings or not or do they just have to look at the future right is is what's the focus being as good as you possibly can be this season or a little of that and more of we got to order this roster here we got to get things in place where this thing is going to be able to, you know, last longer, you know, and I don't know, last, I, the dynasty may or may not be what we're talking about here. I'm just saying relevant. I'm saying. So you want to know the way it's, the way it's been termed to me is like, if, if it's more of a, Hey, this, you know, this season's kind of a wash, they're not winning the title. Then the trade deadline strategy would essentially be figure out who fits around Steph and who should be kept around and maneuvered around to make sure it's a good environment next season for Steph Curry, you know, like who, who can play with him and who who should we keep around to play with him or who should we maybe go out and acquire to, to try to see if they can play with him. It's, there's still a desire to have it as like a Steph Curry ecosystem. Here's a question. Does John Kaminga fit with Steph Curry? I think, I think yes. Um, I, I mean, I think he's been good in the starting lineup next to Steph a bunch lately. I think he, could Kaminga to me is a really improved player. He really is in a lot of ways. And, and you know, I think certainly, you, you know, he can be tricky with certain lineup combinations. But Draymond Green, who maybe fits around Steph Curry better than anybody ever, also creates really tricky, tricky lineup decision, you know, choices. So I think Kaminga could. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, I think Steph thinks so. Right? <laughs> or do you know Steph thinks no, so? No, I know Steph thinks so. I mean, he literally said he should have played. Like, he should have been in the game. Like, yeah. when do you hear Steph saying that? Like, hey, man, I kind of – this guy should have been on the court with me at the end. Like, I needed him. Why wasn't he out there? I mean, that that's basically – like, he said that publicly. Uh, but I know, like, you just talked to Steph. You know, like, somebody who when you run a pick and roll – like you have to care about that person rolling. You gotta care about Kaminga rolling. You just do. Like he will put his head down and get to the rim and put pressure on the rim. That's what that's what Steph needs and that's what Kaminga provides. A lot of the other stuff is like I do think the other thing Kaminga brings you is like you need an ISO player. Like when Steph is off to the side and you know things aren't going well or he needs like a bit of a break, you need somebody who can just go create a shot. Kaminga can go create a shot. He can create, he can get to the free throw line. Like, he can do some things. And as he plays more, he'll get better at it. I think Steph sees that. I'm, I'm with you, Slater. I feel like Kaminga's played really well, and he's still got a lot of meat on the bone as far as growth. I think yeah. he could actually be really good in this league, and that's what they need next to Steph. Really good yeah, I'm mostly, yeah, I'm mostly agreeing with you on this. I just like, I think this is a question, though, that they've got to answer for themselves. And let's say they can get a center. So can you go seven-footer? Kaminga, Steph, is that like a foundation you think that they can move forward with? I I can see it. I, I can also say, hmm, you know, I know I'm not 100% sure. I mean, there's a center that's on my mind. I don't, I'm not reporting anything. I don't know if they can get him, but Jared Allen. And there's a guy that is re- protecting the rim and is not a useless offensive player, certainly not a shooter, but he's certainly a great, you know, dive guy. Um, if they could get the sacrifice and a lot of other pieces, you know, but they hold on to Steph and Kaminga, can you see that as a kind of a threesome that moves forward? I don't know if I'd put Kaminga in the slot of essentially Clay as like the number mm-hmm. two guy. I still think you need that guy if you're moving. But forward. I mean, they might still have Clay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's like if you, know. you still have Clay, yeah. Uh, I still think you need a a number two guy. I think you need a guy who can be your 
like Steph, they're double teaming you. I'm gonna light them up for thirty mm-hmm. every time they do it. Like I think they need that guy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know like who that is like out there now. I don't know if Kaminga can be that for them. I do have questions about whether Clay is still that for them. But to me, like in the future, that's what you're gonna need. It's what he's always had. Like you just you could just blatantly trap him at half court, and everybody's like, "I'm doing it because I don't I, I'm not afraid of anybody else they have." Well, they need somebody else who could make the other team afraid to at least think twice about it. Uh, can you imagine, like when you double Jokic, what's happening? Like you get, first off, he's like carving yeah, you up with his passing. Yeah, I know yeah. you can't. You but it's can't. like, all right, you gonna give Jamal Murray space? He's destroying you, right? Like that's Michael, what's gonna Michael, Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, like they need players who make you say, "You sure you want to do this?" And I don't know that, that to me that would be the number one priority, unless somehow Clay can be that guy. But I just think that's asking a lot for Clay after what he's been through. And by the way, that that might be a summer thing. You know, a lot oh, of no time, question, I think. <laughs> no question. Yeah, unless I don't know. Can can Siakam be that guy if they got him? I think Siakam could be that guy. Yep, yep. I mean, like, he is somebody who can give them a lot of things they don't have. Now, he's not a center. He's power forward. So what do you do with Draymond? I mean, you know, there's all many other kind of weird things that go on with that. But that happens with everybody when you're adding a player like that. But, yeah, I think Siakam would answer a lot. But would he resign? Like, you know, do you, do you have any ability to think plan long term with him? I think he's the best player available. That's why I, I do think like he's the best of, of the, the names that we've heard that might be available or w- that we know are available. I think Siakam's the best one and, and might fit with Steph the best, not a three point shooter, but man, he can finish. He can challenge the defense. In a lot of ways he can play defense he can hit a three once in a while. Um, that wasn't a great audition for him. They made though <laughs> in that game. Like, Hey, come over here. We're great. Uh, but after Ananubi, uh, and you know, by the way, they could have gotten that. I think Siakam's the best one on this trade market. On the Siakam front, uh, they've been involved in the conference. Like they've talked to Toronto. Yep. Uh, not only have they talked to Toronto, Masai Ujiri and Mike Dunleavy probably had a twenty-minute conversation <laughs> in the tunnel the other night. Masai Ujiri was extremely visible the other night. He had uh, dinner in the media room. Uh, he was in the media room at halftime. He was just walking around the arena, and yeah, I saw him talking to several members of the Warriors front office at various points. Not that that what, whatever that means, that means, but but I do know like the Siakam thing clearly is like you know Toronto has a level of motivation to get something done for the deadline. It, it, it seems clear. And then the other thing about his market, like people talked about Atlanta. Well, Atlanta's kind of reverting into you know kind of more rebuild mode. It seems it might trade Deontay Murray. By the way, who's another name? Uh, mm-hmm. Although he's more of a guard, but that's a name to, to, to at least monitor on the Warriors' front. Uh, the Kings situation happened. It seems clear that Siakam d- wouldn't commit to re-signing there, so they kind of at least temporarily have pulled out of it. So I think there's a chance if the Siakam market just doesn't you know, uh, really grow in the next month, Maybe Toronto has to accept something they don't necessarily want to accept now. Maybe they have to accept that near the deadline, and maybe that's when the Warriors can get more involved and maybe get him at a price that some people just wouldn't think they'd be able to get him at. Yeah, if you could get him from Wiggins and Moody, basically not putting Kaminga in. Yeah, I mean, is that basically it, TK? Yeah, is yeah. That that's, basically I, I mean, I, I can see Toronto saying, hey, we want Kaminga. I mean, you can clearly say see that conversation. I do wonder, but, though, I do wonder, you know, this Wiggins-Kaminga fit issue. Uh, you know, Siakam's different than Wiggins, but, right, we're talking about power four. You know, you're bringing in a power forward again that kind of does a lot of the things Kaminga. Would that fit become an issue? Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see what that looks like. Um, but, you know, I, I, I would say, hey, you know what? One of those guys is going to play like a soft five and one of them is going to play like a soft four. And you kind of, you know, go athletic with that. I don't know. I mean, you might get into some issues, but uh, I just think Siakam's so good. And if you could have an, a line on him and you may, maybe you're not paying him 40 million a year, maybe you have to. I don't know. You you know, whatever the, the books look like, but he's a guy I think can change the way that the Warriors play. And there aren't many of those guys. Somebody mentioned marketing. That's definitely... A, a good name, but I don't 
for, why would Utah trademark in it in the first place? And I think yeah, it yeah, would take a lot more. The price more, for him would be lot, I know a lot more than what we're talking about with yeah. The price for him would be way too insane. That like I, I think even if he was made available, they don't even have the the ability to, to beat what would be needed. Uh, yeah. What do you guys think about Deontay Murray? Uh, and you know, again, he's a guard, but he's kind of like a bigger like defending guard that that I think in some ways could fit. Uh, and you know, I mean, he's certainly. You don't worry about his his combo fit next to to a Draymond. Maybe you do next to like a, a Clay Steph backcourt. But I think he does a lot of different stuff that Chris Paul doesn't necessarily do. Yeah, I mean, I could see him being like a longer, younger version of CP, like a guy. I mean, different player, but start him with Steph, and then he runs the second unit because uh, you 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 still do need that, and in, in, in a kind of different way than Pajemski could possibly be viewed as. Very expensive player. I don't know what they'd have to give up to get him. Doesn't really solve their, you know, go guard a wing guy. But he he would be helpful. I mean, he's a good player. He can hit a shot. He can, you know, take, you know, help Steph get off the ball sometimes. Oh, by the way, MT Love would occur explaining to you that Steph can't go one-on-one against everybody all game long. That was directed directly to you. I know that. Um, you know, I think Murray can help in a lot of ways. I don't know if he changes the way they play, though. I think he just kind of adds to who they play. And I think they might have to make the decision at the deadline. Maybe we got to change how we're doing this. They've been doing it the same way very successfully for a long time. Uh, but maybe these, this set of pieces, instead of two for one, maybe you need to go three for one and just get somebody who plays differently and hope that that dynamic really goes well with Steph and not really know for sure. And I think Siakam and Isa Jared Allen, there they're probably are one or two others of that line. I don't know that DeJounte Murray is, and I don't know. what I mean, what do the Hawks give up for him? Three firsts? I mean, what are the Warriors going to have to trade for him? Yeah, it'll be dependent on his market, really, you know, and how much does Atlanta view, like, you know, getting off his contract as a positive within it, you know, and trading like a Chris Paul expiring. But Marcus, your thoughts? On Murray, you mean? On yeah. Murray or anything in I general, could, life in general. I, I could see the value in Murray. I do think – I think he's more of a – I mean, I, I like pods. I don't want to feel like I'm piling on pods, but I think that's what you what you want from pods. You get it from DeJounte Murray. Probably not the rebounding, but, the you know, somebody push a tempo, somebody get in the paint. Uh, he's got, like, a nice mid-range. I think if you get Murray, that takes – I t- that takes those pods minutes. So even without Chris Paul, you got Steph, you got Murray, you got Clay, and now you got, you know. I wonder, I mean, you mentioned, it's just interesting you mentioned that. I mean, like, is Pajemski now considered, like, a potential, like, real asset and, like, sweetener in one of these deals? There like, is you know? absolutely no question about that. Yeah, I think that's watching him and, like, Jaime Jaquez and, like, I, I I bet you some people are like, hey, it's positive. I think the Warriors are like, yeah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't think he wants to trade his first draft pick. Yeah, I don't think he was. Yeah, I don't know. If he's, I'm good. I, I, you know, I don't think you. Yeah, I mean, if you could get Dejounte Murray for him, that's probably that's tremendous value. But it's also better. It's also great if you get Dejounte Murray and Pods as your like backup, right? Like. I mean, he's, I, I do think he's played himself into some value, though, no question. How about how would Jaime Hotcast look on the Warriors right now? Oh, um, man. Oh, that's exactly what they need. Exactly. what Now, they couldn't draft him. He went to pick before Pajemski. But that guy, the tough wing, tough wing is what they need. Uh, you know, somebody who can, you know, play off the ball with Steph, at times with the ball, with the defense has to worry about him. Um, man, I, I when I see Hawkes now, I just think that that guy would be so good for the Warriors. A lot of guys, a lot of Heat players, I think, like would be really good for what the Warriors don't have right now. Just toughness, just edginess, just like we're gonna go pull the ball away from you, and we're gonna win. We don't care who's on the roster right now, and who's healthy right now. And oh, by the way, that is Pajemski. You know, yeah, that, you're right. He's that's small. Why he's if he was six foot six. He would be a perfect player for the Warriors. I mean, six five would even be like yep. you know. <laughs> I mean, he, there's a lot to him, and I, you know what, I think if he was like six five, he'd be doing more of the one thing I think he really's got to get better at, which is driving the hole with the intention to score. 
Like he doesn't look at the rim sometimes, and I do think part of that is he's you know been undersized. He knows the shot blocker's coming. Uh, so maybe if he's six five, he's thinking about that differently. But yeah, I don't know. Would you would you swap? I mean, I don't. What's Dejounte making? A lot. I, I think I think he's making a lot. Here's another one interesting thrown into the the comments. What about John Collins, who's probably got to be available in Utah? Yeah, there's a guy though. I mean, I mean, I'm, we can't we can't talk about this without mentioning the Bulls people. No, nah, I know y'all don't like Levine. Oh, uh, I think Alex Caruso would be, it would help. Is uh, Caruso available? You know, Steve loves Caruso. That's another guy. Caruso comes, pause minutes are gone. Like they're gone. So that that's another guy. Yeah, I don't think he's available though, is he? I mean, I'm sure you know for the right high price offer. Everyone's pretty much available in Chicago. Um, but, yeah, anyway. Uh, I mean, I'm going to get us out of here unless y'all – I mean, we, we can dig – if you really want to dig into Levine or DeRozan, feel free. <laughs> not Levine. Not Le- Sorry, I, I had to go there a second. Not Levine. Uh, Vucevic. <laughs> is not a Levine guy. Yeah, Lu- you, Vucevic. No, I can't believe you're saying this, TK. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. No, no defense team list making you <laughs> – yeah, shocked, aren't you, that I, I would not be able to be yes. making 44, 47, and 50, right? Or whatever the hell he's making in the next three years. Uh, I would not say Zach Levine. I, I would go with the Warriors changing who they are. I wouldn't go with the Warriors changing who they are with Zach Levine being the guy. I wouldn't be in favor of the Warriors turning into the Chicago Bulls is what I would say. So uh, there are other better players. Siakam is a better player and, you know, might be worth bringing on and seeing if you can re-sign him. Like, he's good enough. He's 30. It's not like he's super young, but then that kind of still fits the, you know, the final years of Steph and whoever else you got around him, you know, a guy who's in his prime and, and might be ready for like another situation, new scenery. The Warriors might be it. Oh, the, the, the title of the podcast needs to be TK wants to trade for Zach Levine and Nikola uh, Vucevic. There you go. Those there you two go. Guys. Get them both. Uh, get more Chicago Bulls. Get them all over here. Get 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 uh, Billy Donovan. I'm just saying, Kobe White is balling. That's all. Kobe White's not bad. Like, that, that's a player. I don't think. I mean, Jesus, he plays more when Levine is out. Guess what happens to the Bulls? They win. They're better. <laughs> They're better. All right. Enough of this. This is not. This is not Bulls plus minus. Well, they play the Chicago Bulls this week, Friday. Um, all right. Well, uh, we will talk to y'all at some point later this week, next week, whatever. We'll figure out a day and. Talk to them. Thanks. Yep. Yeah.